Well, good morning again. When is more and more enough? I mean, life is hard, right? No matter what stage of life we are in, it always feels like there's something else that we need. Something else, just that, that one other thing that we need in order to finally feel like we've arrived, like we got it, we've done enough. No matter what stage of life we are in. Think of kids. There's always a desire for more something. More candy, more something, you know. There's always a desire for more something. But even like on a very real identity, like what, they, what you feel like you need deep down in your core as a kid, this is true. And I think what it is for, for little kids is it's to be older, right? It's like when I get older, then I will have arrived. Something, you know, when I'm an adult, I hear my daughter say to me, you see this with kids, when they, when they get together, when they get together, you always see there's sort of this, this little equation that happens, this little discussion that happens. You're trying to figure out, all right, who's the oldest here? Because that one is in charge, right? I want to be older. There's desire, desire to be older. Teens, it's not much different. It's not much different. And I think the desire is, I mean, it's a little bit more nuanced, but it's a desire to be more popular, to feel like you fit in, to, to get more of a sense of belonging. Whether that's to be more popular and fitting in with the culture or to be more popular and being countercultural. I don't know if punk is still a thing, but it's that idea. There's a lot of pressure to get likes, to get friends, to get retweets. To... Teens can feel like they always need something more to finally feel like they fit in. Always be more. As you get older, you feel like, oh, I need to land a job, I need to earn more money. And as you get older, you can feel like, no, I need a bigger house. I need a perfect family. The perfect American dream. Talk about when the midlife crisis hits, right? That's when like, some of these things revert back a little bit. I need more toys. Do more exciting things. You get older, you think, you know, once I pay off my mortgage, once I pay off the college bills, then I will have arrived. Once I get retired, and when you get retired, I think you really cycle back to this, the, the teenage years. It's about popularity again, right? And you can see this all around us. Even in the commercials, they play into this thinking. They tell you, you need to do more. Once you get this thing, then you will have arrived. And you think, when is more and more enough? And this can be exactly how we feel as disciples of Jesus. Exactly how we feel as disciples of Jesus. What do I need to do in order for it to be enough for the Lord? When does the more and more finally become enough already? Do you get the sense that there may be something wrong with this picture? We're finishing up this morning our study of Paul's letter, to the first, Thess uh, first letter to the Thessalonians. And we've spent some time here this spring in this letter, and it's been amazing. It's been so wonderful to see um, Paul encourage this little church, this church that he was with them for three weeks, maybe a little bit longer, three weeks, and he was forced to leave them. And as he looked to figure out how are they doing? Are they staying together? Are they clinging to the hope? 
Timothy goes and checks on them and he brings back this report and we see it through the letter. This little church is an amazing little church. They are holding on to hope. They are holding on to hope since they've met Jesus. And since chapter 4, Paul has transitioned to a discipleship focus and he has said, God through His Holy Spirit has begun a good work in you. But now I urge you to do so more and more. More and more. More and more. And we're at the last little bit here. So I think the question I'm feeling this morning is, so has he finally said, once you do that, that'll be enough. You know, I've completed all the the addition. This is it. That's good enough. Well, let's listen into the text. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 through 18. You can find it on the Pew Bibles on page 958. I'll also have it up on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through the end. The Word of the Lord. Now we ask you, Brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. This is the Word of the Lord. So are we done with the more and more yet? No, not quite. Not quite. Paul's got a lot more to say. And the first thing he says is, a disciple of Jesus can love one another more and more. And he starts with the leaders in the church. You can see it in verse 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. And live in peace with each other. Paul is specifically talking about the leaders, the ones who admonish, the ones who who care for you. He's talking about the elders, the overseers. And in many ways, we live in a world that unhealthily either idolizes or immediately distrusts leaders. And Paul is saying, when you follow Jesus, you should acknowledge them well. Hold them in the highest regard. Care for them as they care for you. This is about not expecting just that the leaders would carry the weight. See, following Jesus means you can grow in this area. And Paul continues. He talks about the church family, brothers and sisters, how they can love one another more and more. He says to warn the idol. And that draws us back to where we were in chapter 4, verse 10. You remember when he said he encourages those to work with their hands. And he says, encourage the disheartened, which reminds us of chapter 4 again, where there were those, someone had died in the church, and there were those in the church who were grieving like they had no hope. 
says, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And the picture that's emerging is that the gathering of the church isn't just a gathering of all your best friends. You bring your brokenness, your differences, your disagreements to the table, and it's going to be hard, hard, hard work to care well for one another. Sometimes it means you have to warn one another. Sometimes it means you have to step out and spur each other to step up. Sometimes it means sacrificing your needs to carry the weight of another. Spending your money and taking the time to make a meal for someone else in need. Maybe offering a spare bed. When you follow Jesus, it means you can grow in this area more. And then Paul says, always strive to do what is good. Always. When is more and more enough? Is that it? He finally finished it? No, Paul turns to talk about our lives with God. Look at verse 16. The disciple of Jesus can live with God more and more. We are to rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's desire for you in Christ Jesus. And if we're being honest with ourselves, I think we're, we're prone to thinking rejoicing and praising God is just for the songs maybe on Sunday. And that's enough. No. Always. In every circumstance. I think of Psalm 34 where the psalmist says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Rejoice always. And if we're being honest with ourselves, I think we're prone to limiting prayer to the minimum. Like before meals. Or at the end of the day. Or at church on Sundays, right? Nope. Continually. Continuous. Meaning unending. Practicing the presence and communion with God in every situation. When the guy cuts you off on the highway, prayer. When you get a nice tax refund, prayer. When your child acts up, prayer. When you're teaching, fishing, pouring concrete, policing. When you're studying, prayer. Continually. Whew. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I think we think of giving thanks as happening when we see God do something finally you know, good for us that we really wanted. And on Thanksgiving. We'll give Him Thanksgiving too. Nope, in every circumstance, every win, every loss, every paycheck, every sickness, every car breakdown. Every. And Paul's not done yet. Verse 19, do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. And in every situation, be listening to God speak, to hear His Holy Spirit move, no matter how comforting or uncomfortable it makes you feel. When is more and more enough? I mean, when does it end? This is getting to be a long list, I think, this morning. I mean, does God want us to be perfect? To be holy and blameless? That's exactly what it means to be a son and daughter. 
and exactly what Jesus told his disciples. Matthew 5.48, a passage we might like to overlook. Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Honestly? I mean, this is how we feel. I've met Jesus. I know I'm his child. I want to follow his commands. I want to trust him. I want to know his heart. I want to do the right things. But perfect? How could I ever do that on my own strength? How could I ever, ever muster up the effort to do that? I'm so prone to wander. I'm, I'm so quick to anger. I can't go a drive on the highway without getting upset. I don't go an hour without being selfish. A minute without being greedy. I'm struggling just to see my own failings, much less have freedom from them. And this is a hard teaching. If this is the call of discipleship, I'm not going to make a very good one. And this is the end of Paul's teaching on discipleship. That's it. It's a hard teaching. Do you get the sense there's something wrong with this picture? Because we're reading the content, we're missing the context. We're hearing the command, but we're missing what's bookending it on both sides. Since chapter 4, he's turned to discipleship. Remember where he left off in chapter 3? He said a prayer. And right here, Paul turns now to say a prayer again. A powerful prayer. Powerful because the prayer shows us the truth about Jesus. And it's, it's pretty much the same prayer as he said at the end of chapter 3, before we even started this more and more talk. Listen in. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Jesus is the one who perfects you, his disciples. Is this even possible? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is this even possible? How could, how could it even be possible to be perfect? I mean, is this an empty hope? We have a hope. His name is Jesus. I said that week one in this series. We have a hope. It's embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And He is faithful and He will do it. He is actively doing it. Your work, your effort, your strength will never be enough to change your own heart. Sin, brokenness, the imperfections proceed from our hearts. And we can never change that. Our strength will never ever be enough. But we've met the God who looked at His wayward children. And we are the definition of rebellious children rebellious, unfaithful, even hateful to our Heavenly Father. And God never once looks at us and says, enough's enough. I've run out. 
I can't give them any more love. They are too far gone. He is faithful. And He is the mighty one. Mighty enough to rescue us. God never tires or runs out of compassion. He never closes the door on hope for anyone. I hear this joke um, every so often, a variation of it from, from the soldiers that I work with as a chaplain. And it usually comes from, from the soldiers who have a vague sense of religion, maybe grew up in a church somewhere. And I think it, it, it's funny because they'll often say it to me just in passing, you know, as a high, and, you know, we're hanging out, talking. It'll just be sort of in passing. And they'll say something to the effect of this. Chaplain, don't waste your time on me. I'm too far gone. If God knew everything that I've done, He'd send me straight away, down below. And the first time I heard it, it was just like, it was kind of a joke. He was laughing as he said it. Um, and it kind of caught me off guard. Because it was in the context of me like kind of just passing by. You know, it was really in a laid-back context. We're really going there right now, aren't we? But having heard it a handful of times, I kind of anticipate it now. When I hear that, I, I, this is what I say. God knows you. He does know you. And there's no place that you could go that He wouldn't come hard after you and chase you down, rescue you. That's His promise. And you can count on it. The one who calls you, Jesus Christ, the living God, He is faithful. He is our hope. And when He says He will do something, you can count on it. The whole Old Testament is God calling His shot and saying, you will be My people. And God knew that He was going to take on human flesh. That He was going to endure our scorn. Our be mocked. That He was going to be tortured on the cross. But He's a Father who says, I love you more and more and more and more. Community church, we don't make ourselves blameless. We don't make ourselves perfect before God so that He might accept us. You know, if we just strive hard enough. No, God Himself, the God of peace. He is the one who sanctifies you. He cleans out your heart. He's the one who recreates our hearts. He reorients us that we might even face His presence. He's the one who takes every part of us, our body, our soul, and our spirit. And He makes them whole. He makes them through and through, once and forever, blameless before His holy presence. He does this through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how we are made perfect and this is the message of grace. It's us through and through. Blameless. And now we see that you know, this more and more is not the right question. When is more and more enough? This is not the right question. It's utterly wrong. And if we're being honest, this comes right here from the work of the accuser, from the work of Satan that stands to accuse you and say, oh, you don't stand before, you can't stand before God. Look at all the sin in your heart, in your life. How could he ever love you? 
you'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to do enough to be his disciple. That's a lie. And so we say, what is the right question? How do we look at this text this morning? Because when you follow Jesus as his disciples, he starts to change and reorient your heart. And he calls you more and more to love one another more and more, to follow him, to give more of your life to him more and more, to rejoice always, pray continuously, and to give thanks in every circumstance. It's not as the means by which we earn his love, but it's actually the warmth of his embrace. This is what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, and we need to hear it too as we finish this letter. God has begun a good work in you. If you've met the living God, if you've met Jesus, he has begun a good work in you. He's welcomed you into his family once and for all. He is our perfect father. He will never say enough is enough already. He is with you. And he's inviting you into life in his name. Life abundant, life joy-filled. This isn't a hard teaching. This is freedom. This isn't, oh, there's always more and more that I have to do for God. This is, oh my God. You have something more for me? You want to heal more of me? You want to take more of my brokenness? And help me see you in prayer? You want to turn my mourning into dancing? More and more means you're going to heal every part of me? Hallelujah. And the right question is, how will you respond to the invitation to more and more? Discipleship feels costly when we still like broken things. But God is the faithful one. And He's doing a good work in you. He has promised to perfect your imperfections, to heal your woundedness, to change your perspective, to give you a forever home. And the more and more that you allow Him to do so, the more and more discipleship becomes joy-filled. This is hope. His name is Jesus. An invitation this morning, more and more. More and more is an invitation. And I want you to write that down. If you're, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. More and more is an invitation to life with Him. Jesus meets us in our brokenness. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. And I think so many of us maybe from the outside or in our own hearts, hold on to this idea that somehow that we have to dot every I and cross every T so that we will be good in God's eyes. And that's utter garbage. It just is. It's utter garbage because it misses the Gospel. It misses the message of grace. When you meet Jesus, He embodies hope as He enters into your life. A joy-filled hope. That everything that is broken and rotten and abusive, everything that is painful will one day be remade, undone, rescued. And every command in the New Testament, every command in the New Testament is Jesus reaching out His hand and inviting you 
more and more into life with him. You don't even know the half of it yet, of what joy-filled life with our God can look like. We have a hope. His name is Jesus, and more and more is an invitation. I, I can read this passage this morning, chapter 5, and see all these different things listed off. This is Paul's final barrage of more and more. It's his final barrage. And it can feel like a weight of a barrage. I've got to do all these things. Or we can hear it as it's intended. This doesn't save you. But these are the places in which we can live out our lives in the hope and the knowledge of a relationship with Jesus. And these are invitations. This morning I want to invite us as we close down this series. Take some time in silence and prayer before God. I want us to think about God's invitation in this book to the little church in Thessalonica and say, God, where are you inviting me. Where is Jesus inviting you? What is God stirring up in your heart this morning to enter more and more into the joy-filled calling as his disciple? Where is he inviting you deeper? Where have we been since chapter 4? Perhaps it's in regards to sex. Perhaps it's in regards to how we love the church family. Perhaps it's in how we respond to grief. Could he be calling you and inviting you out of your grief? Perhaps it's in how we look forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's right here in our text. How we acknowledge those who work hard among you. How we live in peace with each other. Warning those who are idle and disruptive. Encouraging the disheartened. Helping the weak. Being patient with everyone. Always striving to do what is good. Perhaps it's in our rejoicing. Perhaps it's in our praying. Perhaps it's in our thanksgiving. These things don't make us blameless. They don't make us perfect before God. He is the one. He is the faithful one and He will do it. He is actively doing it. And these are the places that He's inviting us in to experience His love more and more, to knowing God more and more. So I want us to take a moment this morning and reflect on God's Word. Reflect on this letter. Where has it taken you? Where has it brought you? Has it brought you the joy-filled hope of following Jesus? Being His disciple. And I want us to take a moment and I want you to first ask the Lord, change my perspective. When I see this list, may it not just hit me like a to-do, but may it be Your love letter to me, Lord Jesus. May it be Your loving invitation to knowing Him more. And then I want to ask, God, where are you stirring in my heart? Where are you stirring? Because we can take this list and say, it's so much, I can't do it. God doesn't call us to all these sort of things all at once in, in one moment. He stirs in our hearts. He brings conviction in areas. And so we need to listen and we need to stop and lay it before the Lord. So I'm going to give us five minutes. Spend some time with God in silence and reflection, listening into where he might be stirring in your heart. Let's go before the Lord now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these things that you have placed on our hearts. We confess our own distraction. 
and our lack of focus and attention before you, God. And we ask, give us more. Give us more. We want to recognize you, God. We thank you for the places that you have stirred in our hearts, God. And we commit them to you, Lord, knowing that you are the one who is actively changing our hearts, moving us and shaping us. We give these things to you now. Amen. The people of Thessalonica met the living God. We're finishing up our series this morning. They were captured by a hope when they met Jesus. And we've said all along through this series that when we know that what Jesus has promised is secure, it changes the way we live here and now. When we know the future that He has promised, it changes the way we live here and now. And so we know that our striving is not that which saves us. We know our effort is not that which is going to save us. That our own strength will forever fall short. But we know the living God is at work in us. He is the one who will keep us, preserve us, and hold us blameless and sanctified before His coming in the end. And so I would pray that you would hear this invitation and you would trust Him more and more in our everyday waking, sleeping, working, eating lives. Every moment that you would hear this invitation to follow Jesus more and more as what it is. It's an invitation from the living God. And it would draw you deeper in love and adoration for Him. Let's give this to the Lord and let's thank God for His Word. Holy Jesus, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word, God. We thank You for the gift of being able to hear You speak and move through the words of Scripture. God, I pray that You would change and move in our hearts more. You would open us up to what You would have for us, Lord. I pray that Your Word would be the very bread that we need every day. The very sustenance that we would cling to. Your words. God, we thank You for this letter. Pray that You let it settle deeply into our hearts. That You would remind us each and every day that You are the One who perfects us. You are the One who has saved us. You did not appoint us for wrath but you offered up your Son on our behalf. What a picture of love. And so we hear every command, every exhortation, and every urging as an invitation to know you more, Jesus. Help us to see that. Help us to cling to that. Help us to know that deep in our hearts. Because we want to live our lives in light of you, in the hope that we know is in you, Lord Jesus. So God, we thank you. We praise you. May our our every life, every bit of our lives, be glorifying to you, Lord Jesus, that you might be praised. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.